Uh, this week's scripture reading comes out of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 5 and following. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving his priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No. Relatives is called by the name, and they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness into the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and we'll get right down to work this morning. Father, uh, thank you that we're reminded through that song that you, you are a good father and you love us with a perfect love. We are loved by you, not because we are lovable people, we're not a lovable family, not because we can make ourselves more lovable, but because you have a perfect love and you love us in Christ and nothing will ever change that. And so we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for setting aside your crown, becoming a servant, condescending to us for our rescue and adoption into the family. And we thank you that we are kept not by our own performance, but we are kept uh, because of your perfect obedience in our place. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing our hearts to life, uh, opening our ears so that we could hear our Father's voice uh, for the first time and uh, know life as a result. And so we pray again this morning what you did for us um, before, uh, that you would do again daily and do it for us now, that you would humble our hearts to receive our Father's voice, open our ears so that we hear his voice more clearly than we hear our own or any other voice in our culture. And Father, just drive the beauty of the gospel down deep in our hearts this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So good morning, family. It's good to see you here. And... Uh, Glad to spend this time with you this morning. This is week three of our Advent series that we've entitled Holding Fast to the Confession of Our Hope. And as we've been discussing, Advent very well may be about hope, but it begins here in the gospel, according to Luke, with a hopeless story of barrenness. Let me ask you this question. What comes to mind when you see uh, this word here on the screen for you, barren? What? What comes to mind when you see that word and hear it? A desert. A desert, good. Empty. Emptiness, good. Lifeless. Now it's kind of a, it's a, it's a dark word, right? It's hopeless. A couple synonyms that I had thought of this week. Arid, you guys said desert. Parched, impoverished, infertile. Desert, like you said, dry. Um, depleted desolate, fruitless, and as somebody over here said, uh, empty, just absolutely empty. Now, of course, we know in our language the word barren is used primarily to describe a childless state. But because it's such a powerful word, or it describes such a powerful place of being, that, that word has been adopted and used more broadly uh, in our language to describe an emptiness of soul or being, right? We use it to describe an emptiness relationally. Uh, I feel barren and fill in the blank, just to feel desolate, depleted, dry, I feel barren. This may be a word that we feel more than we know. It's a feeling word, especially if you have known seasons of barrenness, um, maybe a prolonged season, maybe a short season. That was uh, my wife, and that was, that was our story in, in the first years of our marriage for some time. Um, and it is, a, it is a powerful, powerful word. Notice how Luke begins his account of the Advent. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, 
and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and because both were advanced in years. So in verse 7, right at the beginning of Luke's gospel account, we're introduced to this woman by the name of Elizabeth, and we're told immediately that she is barren. Now that word stings. The word absolutely stings. It has bite to it. Barrenness creates an internal aching that cannot be satisfied by anything or anyone else. It's an, it's an internal aching. And again, if you have known a season, you're deeply acquainted with that sense of aching, that longing that's unmet. And um, you're perhaps even a little bit put off that the word barren would be used so broadly in our language to describe other states of being other than childlessness. It's that powerful and personal. Elizabeth was barren and that stung. She wasn't just barren, though. Luke says they were both advanced in years. That's just the nice way of saying they were, they were old, older than anybody in the life of our church right here. They were old. And so for Elizabeth, that meant there were no more chances at children, like none. The hoping of her youthful years as a young woman, that was gone. It's faded. No more hoping from month to lonely month. Maybe a slight mercy, no more chafing at the conversations that were introduced to you over and over again by well-meaning but maybe not thoughtful persons suggesting that maybe next month it'll be different. No more hoping from month to lonely month. Elizabeth would carry her ache to the grave and she knew it. So sure, Advent is about hope, but we have to catch this. Luke, in a compelling way, is beginning the story of Advent with some of the most hopeless words known to man. This narrative is about a hopeless couple. You notice Luke was sure, though, to point out that they'd not done anything wrong. They'd not brought this barrenness on themselves. They didn't bring this curse on themselves. He's not saying that they lived perfect lives. You see how they're described here. He's not saying they're perfect. He's just saying because nobody's ever lived a perfect life, Jesus alone has been perfect in our place. He's simply saying that God was not punishing them with barrenness because they were disobedient kids. The big idea that we'll see this morning in the text is this. Barrenness drains our hope and depletes our belief. But in the advent, the birth of Jesus, God causes the sun to rise on those of us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Barrenness drains hope and depletes belief. Look with, look with me, if you will, in verse 8, beginning in verse 8. Luke records, now while he was serving as priest before God. Um, such a subtle transition, but it can't be lost on us. He's just described them as barren, old, and hopeless. And then he said, Zechariah still goes to work. And guys, this is one of the most human stories. And it's just, it's so messy and so real and so raw. We can't compartmentalize in life, right? You have pain, you have barrenness. You have internal ache, and you get up and you bring it with you to work. It goes with you to the places that you go. It's inseparable from your being. So now while he was serving as priest before God, going to work with his, his pain, his internal ache, um, 
We have a lot in common with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, here, here's another way. Did you see his division was on duty? He had duty too, guys. Yeah. Uh, Air Force, you can ask like Marines later what that means, like the word, the word duty, like little sleep, lots of words. It's just, but um, yeah, they had duty, like duty's been around for a long time. And this was weekend duty, no comp day, no comp day. Um, two weeks at a pop, there were 24 divisions of priests. So he's in one of these divisions. They'd serve two weeks at a time. So two-week duty, no comp day, and two weekends at that, right? So we can't really complain about the little 24-hour duty that we get from time to time. Check this out, though. A little wisdom in this passage about duty. Check this out. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord. I just want you to reimagine the way you draft your duty roster. It will help with your relationships. So you're the enemy if you're the duty roster guy, yeah? Or shenanigans, you're like best friends with some people, but shame on you for that, right? So make it about chance. Just call everybody together and cast lots for the duty roster. And that's not on you anymore. That's like, it's biblical. That's how they're doing it right here. Duty's drawn up by like a bingo ball or casting lots or something. Here you go. So he's chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord. Now, all kidding aside, the reason they did that, there were so many priests, right? 24 divisions, thousands of priests. And this opportunity to go in and present the sacrifice on behalf of God's people and be in God's presence was absolutely sacred and sought after. You could be a priest your entire life and not have the chance to do this. And so they cast lots to give people the opportunity. Uh, so this is a beautiful, beautiful moment in, Levi, in uh, Zechariah's life. And so the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him, to Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That doesn't happen. Like, this, that never happens. So an angel shows up, and Zechariah was like any one of us would be. He was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. We would say, I was paralyzed, like I was powerless to move. So you lose your speech, you lose your reflexes. You're just, you're there and kind of having an out-of-body experience. Like, you can see yourself, and you see this other thing happening. That's how Luke's describing it. So fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you will call his name John. Zechariah's prayer had been heard. We don't know which prayer. So as a priest, he would have been in there with the incense. And he would have been offering a prayer on behalf of God's people. And what he would have been asking for was redemption, rescue. And so it's possible that the angel was saying, your prayer for rescue has been answered. And that at the, the pathway for that rescue was going to flow through John, this unexpected son that, that, they, that they would now receive. So maybe it's that. Or maybe the angel is saying, man... All those prayers that you and Elizabeth prayed for all those years in your barrenness, that prayer is being answered. Either way, Zechariah's prayer is being answered. Redemption is coming, but they also have a son who is coming. God heard him. Now, family, uh, again, we, we value honesty in our culture here. And um, to be honest, uh, we, we, we know that when we are in barren seasons, we don't feel heard by God, right? We don't feel heard. Uh, we feel like our prayers fall, fall on deaf ears, fall because of gravity. Like we know there's not a ceiling above us in the clouds. Some of you break that space all the time, but just kind of poetically, that's how we feel. Like we, we, we throw these words up to our father and they just bounce off a hard ceiling right back at us. That's how we feel in barrenness. 
And so we just go silent, right? I mean, what, let's, can we just be real? What's the use? Why do I pray if I'm in a barren season? In this case, an entire lifetime of barrenness. And so we go silent. What's the use? But it's in those seasons that we begin to learn that part of the use, if we will, to use that, that terminology. Prayer is a gift that a father, the Father gives us as the means by which we hold fast to him, we hold fast to the confession of our hope when everything else around us is hopeless in a hopeless season. Prayer is the way we hold fast. Guys, Zechariah and Elizabeth had to have prayed in their pain. I mean, we're talking for 40, 50 years plus, painful prayer. Maybe the first 10 years were not painful, but they probably were because all of Elizabeth's, all her girlfriends that she grew up with in this small town, culturally, they're, they're on their 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th kid. They're having lots of babies, and she's got none. So praying in pain, praying in fading hope, praying in quiet desperation. Prayer is our Father's gift to us as a means to express our pain, our sorrow, our hurt, our hopes, our hopelessness to him. And so we pray in quiet desperation. Sometimes we pray with screams of agony. But guys, prayer is how we hold fast to the Father. There's not another way. There's not a book on a Christian store bookshelf or an Amazon that's going to give you a, a biblically faithful answer. That there, there are no shortcuts. There's not another way. Expressing these things in a raw way to our Father is the way that we hold fast to the confession of our hope when we are in a barren season and everything feels hopeless. Even as we feel faithless, prayer is how we hold on to the only one who is faithful. So somehow, even as their hope was drained and their belief depleted over time, they prayed. And guys, look at, in the text, God heard. God heard. God heard them for 50 plus years, every prayer that they uttered in pain, in hopelessness, in agony, every loud prayer, every silent prayer, every thought prayer, every intended prayer, God heard. Because that is the spirit in kindness looking at you this morning and saying to you, in your pain, your dad hears you. He hears your voice. He hears you in your pain. He hears you in your silence. God hears you this morning. So the messenger said God was going to give them a son. So 50 years of barrenness and now a birth. A special son too with that. Look at verses 14 to 17. The messenger says you will have joy and gladness. Many people are going to rejoice at his birth, not just you. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He's going to have a hyper-focused life. He's not going to have time for all the shenanigans that his friends are involved with. None of that partying. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. I think that means you don't have to send him to daycare. Like, they're just naturally well-behaved and self like, whatever that. He's filled with the, the Holy Spirit in a special way, even from his mother's womb. That's incredible. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a national hero, most revered prophet ever. Like if they had ranked heroes, Elijah's number one nationally. So he's, he will be a second Elijah in a sense. Could you imagine a dad finding out that your firstborn son is going to live to that level, to like national hero level and be the second? Like that, 
I remember the birth of my daughter. She was our first. That was an incredible experience. And I remember the birth of my firstborn son, equally incredible and equally beautiful in its own different way. And I mean, can you just imagine as a first time parent hearing that your son was going to be living life at this level? That's insane to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Their son John was going to have a special purpose and a special endowment of the Spirit's presence. This is blowing his mind. His life was going to be laser-focused, and the Spirit would use him to turn many rebel kids like you and me back to our God. God would use John to bring about reconciliation and restoration and repentance, preparing God's people for the coming of their rescuing king, Jesus. So not only would John and Zechariah and Elizabeth finally have a son, they would have this kind of son, barren to birth, absolute reversal of the narrative in just the opening words of this storyline. So you would think, first time dad, this fantastic news about your son, Zechariah's fist is in the air, he's ecstatic, he's yelling, he's forgetting his priestly duties and running back out to the dudes. He's, look, no PCSing in these divisions, like you're in these divisions for a lifetime. Like these guys knew all of each other's stories. They laughed together, cried together, worked together, traveled back and forth to the priestly dude. Like you're running outside and sharing with your brothers like something. He'd be ecstatic, you would think. But no, we read the text already. Look, he's jaded. He's skeptical. He's doubting. He even challenges God's messenger right here. Look, verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How am I supposed to know this? How shall I know this? I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Those are jaded words, skeptical words, doubting words, challenging words. The very words you and I have spoken in our own barren seasons. He says, prove it. Look at me, I'm old. Prove it, God. Like right now, you say it's going to happen. What about the last 50 years? Nothing has happened then. Why should I believe right now that this is actually going to happen? Do something to prove it to me. And in his unbelief, Zechariah's focus was entirely on himself. Look at what he's, he says. I'm old. Like his, it's impossible because of me. So he's law, his view from God has drifted away, and it's on himself. It's impossible. Verse 19, the angel answered him and said, man, I'm, I'm Gabriel. And you need to step back a little bit. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to you by God to speak to you. In other words, God would be here himself personally, but you'd die if that would happen. So just, here I am. And I bring you this, notice how Luke says it? Like, this is kind of the first little slap in the face. Like, I bring you this good news, dog. Like, this is, this is good news, and you're, da- you're, like, you're not even receiving this at all. This should be life-altering good news that would make you run out and share. It's good, but it's not good to you right now in your barrenness. And so, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. And these words will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah wanted a sign. Gabriel gave him a sign. You want a sign? You're going to be deaf and mute until this takes place. He took his voice away, and we'll see later in the text that he could not hear either, it would seem, but he definitely could not speak. So the sign that he begged for, he was given, but it was also given to him in judgment. Zechariah did not believe. Guys, that's sad. Lifelong priest, lifelong pastor, lifelong Christian, 
in his barrenness, a barrenness that drains hope and depletes belief, he was not believing. That's sad. For us culturally now, we call that um, deconstruction. You can Google that, or there are all these blogs out there about a deconstruction of our faith. It's kind of the trendy term for, no, I, could say, I can't say our generation anymore, like y'all's generation. Um, <laughs> The deconstruction, so there are these deconstruction stories out there, like Zechariah is having his own like deconstruction moment where his faith is being torn down in his barrenness and it's going to have to be rebuilt. Guys, it's okay if some of you find yourselves there. Sometimes that's God's greatest mercy to us, that everything we had constructed that we thought was kind of in the name of faith or our view of God is actually deconstructed in a very raw way so that we are brought back with a truer, more beautiful, right understanding of who God is. It's being de deconstructed right here. In Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verse 12, it reads, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Zechariah's hope had been deferred for a lifetime, and his, his heart was sick with depleted faith and hope that had dissipated. But Gabriel says, look at this. In spite of that, what does he still say? The words will be what? It's still going to happen. They're going to be fulfilled in their time, dog. Like, you, you are not believing right now, but God will still make this come to pass. Guys, that is such good news for us because we are Zechariah. We are just like him. And here's what we are seeing in this story. Our unbelief, while tragic, does not prevent God from fulfilling his word in his time. Our faith fails, his faithfulness remains. That's good news for us. Zechariah emerges, verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Uh, good reason for that. If you read back into the Old Testament, you know that some of these priestly duties, when they were going to go into God's presence, uh, old boys would be wearing, wearing bells around their kilts and robes, whatever they're wearing, not pants. And sorry, for, yeah. Anyway, and they'd have uh, ropes tied around their ankles. And the reason they did that, the bells were to, to let people know movement was still happening. Because if a priest or pastor was just going through the motions like a religious guy, but he was a fake, he was a fraud, and he goes into the presence of the Lord just trying to check the box, uh, he would die in God's presence, and they would need to use the rope to pull him back out, right? So yeah, they're wondering. He's late coming back out, and it's a little bit quiet. So is he dead? Like, what happened to our, our guy? So they're waiting, they're wondering. He comes out, he's unable to speak to them. And they realize that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now, this is a tragic story, but there's humor right here. He doesn't know sign language. He's never used sign language at any point in his life. He just lost his voice, probably lost his hearing. And now he's running out, freaked out of his mind, trying to communicate to his friends what just happened. Like this is the greatest game of charades or gestures ever played. And people are clueless. That's why they're like, he had a vision. That, that's, that's all we got. He had a vision. So he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Guys, that's sad again. Because of his unbelief, Zechariah had no words to tell his friends how God had just shattered the darkness of his barren night. No words. He could not tell the story of how God had proven himself to be so good and so kind. Silence. Guys, our unbelief always leads to silence. 
our unbelief always leads to silence. Silence is the most common symptom of our unbelief. We don't speak because we don't believe. That's true spiritually. We could illustrate it other ways, like I know the CrossFitters in the room because I don't have to ask. You believe, and we know you believe. And uh, just to be, uh, just to introduce a little bit of controversy because we like to do that every from time to time. Like maybe the hottest issue right now um, is uh, so there's a vaccine now, right, for for coronavirus. I don't have to ask. I know those of you who don't believe. Because you tell me, or you make, it, you make it known publicly, right? I don't have to ask. We speak to what we believe. And I'm not taking one side or the other. I'm just illustrating the fact that we speak to what we believe. On the other side of that conversation, um, I have multiple friends back in the States, not as many here, but multiple friends back in the States who are frontline workers. We call them frontline workers, medical care providers. So they're already getting their vaccines. In fact, this week on social media, I saw that my, one of my first crushes, a girl from sixth grade, um, don't Facebook stalk me. She's a nurse, and she just got her, her vaccine. Nobody's got to ask. It's her Facebook profile picture. Like, I get it. You believe, right? We speak to what we believe. Guys, our silence as it relates to the gospel and Jesus as the hero of our story or not is a direct symptom of unbelief in our heart. There's no other way to say it. Silence is a symptom of unbelief. We don't speak because we really deep, 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 deep down believe words that we might say and we sing in a song or we hear in church or we, 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 we know them in our minds but maybe have not known them experientially. So Elijah's not, or Zechariah is not speaking. Verses 24 to 25, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden Uh, saying, we don't really know why she kept herself hidden. Uh, Maybe she was struggling too, to believe that, man, coming out of barrenness or lots of miscarriages, like I get it, this is a journey Linnea and I walked, like just fearful to even announce that she's pregnant, like let's just make sure. Uh, Maybe she was really sick, we don't really know. She's hidden away, five months, saying, but she's glad. Look at her heart, verse 25, man, look, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now this woman's heart's been made glad. Not another conversation from a well-meaning but insensitive person saying it'll be different next month, right? Like, that's done for her. She's just done. She's got a son coming. Now, Luke fast-forwards four months. So he goes from the fifth month of pregnancy to John being born. That's just further verification that we know a dude wrote this gospel and not a woman because there's no detail, no empathy to, like, the most trying time of pregnancy. Just, like, five months, boom, baby, right? A woman writes this, we've got another page of gospel story and devotional and empathy. No, not Luke. So fast forward four months, sorry ladies, because we know the third trimester just flies by like that anyway. No big deal. John's born. The neighbors celebrate with them because of God's great kindness. And they go to present him publicly, verse 59. Um, This is a little weird, like it's on the eighth day, so they're doing, like the Jewish custom, they're tracking, eighth day, circumcision. Uh, They would normally name the baby before that, but maybe with everything going on, John not speaking, for whatever reason, it's kind of delayed and it's more public now. And it says, they would have called him Zechariah after his father, makes sense, crazy story, incredible, name him after dad. 
Uh, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. That name means God is gracious, a grace being a gift. So, you know, God is gracious. God is a good gift giver. And they said to her, so the crowd, the crowd would have been her friends and probably some relatives. They're like, you know, nobody in our family's called John. You can't do that. You got to name him Zechariah or give him another family name. Like there's too many Johns already, especially a pillar, like no more Johns. And so they said, and they, so they, they stopped talking to her and they pivot with big no-no, like stay with mom. They turn to dad and they're like, you know, what, what, what are you going to name him? And so Zechariah verse six, verse 63, he asks for a writing tablet. He, he asks for a tablet. Nothing changes, guys. They had tablets. We have tablets. Uh, but just further evidence that tablets do predate Apple products. Um, so John had a tablet, or Zechariah, had, man, I keep calling him John, had a tablet. And he writes down simply, no, she's right. Like, his name is John. She's not confused. This is the name we're going with. His name is John. And they all were amazed by this. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill. Look, 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 look at how Luke uses this word all. Fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, man, what then will this child be? For the hand of God is clearly with him. Something big is going to happen from God. So we would take that vocabulary, and in our culture, we would say it's gone viral. Everybody knows. This is a big deal. If you don't know, you've got to come out from under the rock that you're living under. Like, this is a big, big deal. So John regains his voice, just like Gabriel said he would at the moment that the baby was, or at, shortly after the child's birth, and at this public presentation, he re regains his voice. And what are his first words? What's he, what's he roll out with? Blessing God. God is good. So guys, God is good. Can I tell you my story? My family has moved from barrenness to birth, radical reversal in our lives, complete change of the narrative. Guys, that's what the gospel does in our hearts, right? If silence is a symptom of unbelief, we're not believing the gospel, we, we either don't have a story that features God or we're, just, we're, just, we're not saying the words, right? Silence is a symptom of unbelief. Zechariah's heart has been rocked. He was disbelieving when he received the word. He's had nine months to sit on it. He, he's in. He believes. And the evidence of belief is a voice that tells personal story with God as the hero. Jesus for us as the hero. So he regains his voice. He's looking at his family and his friends and his neighbors. And he says, Okay, I can talk now. I'm going to tell you the story from the start. And you it, it would be the way that we would say, we would ask for permission to share our story, permission given. And then we would say some kind of disclaimer, like, I just need you to know I'm not the hero of my own story. So I'm going to be talking about Jesus. You're going to hear me talking about God a lot. This, this is what he's doing. God is good. I'm going to tell you, tell you my story. And look at the effect among his neighbors and in his city. They were blown away by these words. They laid them up in their hearts saying, this is incredible. What then will this child be? And it was clear to them that the hand of God was with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Guys, that could happen here in Okinawa too. That could happen in any city where there is a church, a family of followers of Jesus. But it happens when there's belief right here. 
And that belief shapes, first it opens our mouths, and then that shapes the story that we tell from our mouths. And it, repla- it takes us out of the hero role in our own stories, and it places God in that. And when we, when we tell those kinds of stories and the role reversals, the complete changes in narrative from barrenness to birth as the gospel does for us, guys, that has a profound impact upon the lives of people around us. It's beautiful. That's exactly what's happening in this town. So Zechariah is silent no more, and he just absolutely goes off. Belief leads him to tell his story. Belief leads him to brag on God. And then belief, even we see as a dad, leads him to speak blessing over his son, John. And guys, parents among us, um, we need to know that that is the pattern. Like belief in the gospel will lead us first to open our mouths, Uh, to talk about God. Belief in the gospel will lead us to replace ourselves. We're no longer the hero in our story. We, We still, we tell our story, but God's the hero. And it's a beautiful story of brokenness, barrenness and brokenness to, um, birth and beauty. And so we tell that story. And then parents, the, the third piece then would be that the gospel leads us to speak words of gospel blessing over the lives of our kids. And that's what we see right here. John, Zechariah just goes off from 67 to 80. Let's, let's read it together. His father Zechariah was filled with the Spirit, and he prophesied these words really had weight to them. So he's prophesying, but can I just say to you, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, whom are you filled with? Okay, so we're no different than Zechariah. Maybe there was a particular endowment right here, and in a particular way, these were prophetic words. But you, through the Spirit, can speak life-giving gospel words that are life-shaping over your children. You have the Spirit, just like Zechariah. Saying, verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Okay, new hero of the story. Zechariah's out. The, the, we lead with the main character. It's not me anymore, it's God. Blessed be my God. Why? He has visited me personally and he has redeemed his people. He's in the process of rescuing his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. We don't talk about horns of salvation anymore. You don't even use your horn in Okinawa. So uh, a horn of salvation for them as a culture, they would have been talking about beasts in the wilderness that had these majestic horns that they would use in fighting um, for self-defense and for attacking. So it was a symbol of raw strength and power. And so what he's saying is the father has worked in a powerful way. Notice in the house of his servant, David, speaking future. This is Jesus coming through the line of David for our rescue. Okay. So here's what he's saying. The big idea is we are powerless to work our own rescue. So there's got to be power worked on our behalf. And so God in his kindness works powerfully so that we can be rescued. So again, our confidence as followers of Jesus is not in our strength, not in our ability, but in our Father's goodness and his power that he's going to leverage for our good. So he raises up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, Jesus, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, when our father says something, he does something. Not in our time, but in his time. If he says it, he's going to do it. He's completely different than we are. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Here's his purpose. This is beautiful, verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. Mercy means kindness. Our father will be kind to us through Jesus to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Remember, we talked about this last week. Remember 
when, when the Bible says God remembers something, it's not that he's ever forgotten. God does not forget. Remembering means he acts on. He's always going to act on his promise. So, and to act on his holy covenant with us, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Again, remember, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you are a follower of Jesus, adopted into the family, we are in the line of Abraham. God's got one family. So he's pointing back to our forefather and a promise made to Abraham that will be fulfilled for us to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Guys, you were created to serve God without fear. That's, that's his way of saying you will be restored by Jesus to your created purpose. That's our created purpose right there. A glad recognition that I exist for my father's fame and the good of other people. And so fear is replaced with love and joy. I get to serve him. I get to live for his fame. I'm not a slave anymore to this idea that I live for myself or my my own fame or my own good. I live for his fame and the good of other people created to our, restored to our created purpose through Jesus. Guys, Zechariah had nine months of silence to think all of these things over. And I think what we see in this moment is he's saying what he wished he had said the first time. Guys, he failed hard. And then he was judged. He was silent. His unbelief led to silence. But again, we are Zechariah. How many times have we daydreamed about that moment that would come? You're like, man, when that moment comes, like this is how I'm going to roll. Like it's going to be amazing. I'm going to say this thing. I'm going to intervene in this way. My character will be seen to be commendable. Probably get an award for this. Like, it's just going to be incredible. Like, people are going to talk about this thing. And then the moment comes, and fear falls on us the same way that it fell on Zechariah. And it's like paralyzed, voiceless, out-of-body experience. And we fail. We don't say what we know we should have and what we'd rehearsed. But guys, this is just another demonstration in this story of God's kindness. It's not too late for him. This is nine months later, almost a year later. It's not too late for you either, and it's not too late for me. We have failed in the past, and we fail and we fail. Because as long as your heart's beating, it's not too late to begin retelling your story differently with Jesus as the hero for the good of those who you live and work with. It's not too late. You're sitting here, and your heart's beating. That's God's kindness to you. It's not too late for Zechariah, and it's not too late for you. But you know what? He needed some silence, so God gave him nine months. Uh, he needed some time. Guys, we, we, need, we need that. We need to be able to sit and reflect on God's goodness and the barrenness that we have known apart from Jesus. In unbelief, Zechariah's focus was on himself. You know, he's saying, I'm old, I'm old, it's impossible. And that belief that we're seeing now is a result of his focus shifting back onto his father. And now his attention turns to his son, John. Maybe he's holding him up. Maybe his hand is resting on him. He's looking with proud eyes. It's his... Um, what is it? Uh, what's the, his Lion King moment, right? He's holding his son up and he's speaking these words. And he says, verse 76, and you, child, son. He's never said those words before. Son, you, son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord. This is proud dad talk right here. This is just proud dad affirming his boy. You're going to go before the Lord to prepare his way. You are going to give to the people a knowledge of salvation. It's going to be a knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins, like their sin can be forgiven. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Guys, there's only one reason you can be forgiven. And you all need, we all need to be forgiven, yeah? 
Can we agree to that? We need, you, you don't just need forgiveness because of your life pre-Jesus. You need forgiveness for your daily life with Jesus like yesterday and all week. Guys, this is beautiful hope for us. We can know forgiveness of our gross sins. We have sins just like Zechariah. We have been silent. We've been silent when we should have spoken. We have, we have, that silence is a symptom of our unbelief. We have unbelieving hearts. God's word's not fulfilled in our time. It's fulfilled in his time. So when it's not fulfilled in our time, we doubt his goodness. We doubt his faithfulness. We stop talking to our dad. Like we, all kinds of stuff, just like Zechariah. And the one reason we will be forgiven is because of the tender mercy of our God. Because we have a kind and gentle father who in Jesus will forgive us. Guys, you can be forgiven this morning in Christ. And then these beautiful words, my favorite words in all of the Bible, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus himself is the sunrise. That's what he said. I am the light of the world. And as the light of the world, he gives light where we had darkness and he gives peace where we had brokenness in our barren seasons. And verse 80 wraps this narrative up. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Side note, he was a little crazy when he came out of the wilderness. You've read ahead, right? Um, he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So just be careful with the kids. Don't over-isolate. They will come out of the wilderness at 18 a little bit crazy like John was. Okay, Guys, here, here, here's the deal, though. The chapter opens with a hopeless couple, childless, barren, and broken. But the chapter closes with a hopeful couple, a child no longer barren and beautifully restored. That is the gospel narrative right there for us to see. We have all been um, barren and broken apart from Christ, and now because of a child no longer barren but beautifully restored. Zechariah and Elizabeth's barrenness was dispelled by the birth of a son, but but it wasn't John, not ultimately, and even Zechariah knew this. He knew that his son John was a good gift, but not the ultimate gift. He knew he was receiving this boy to point to, point to the one who would actually truly dispel their barrenness, and that is Jesus. The good gift pointed to the better gift. The good son pointed to the true and better son, Jesus. And so their experience foreshadows our own. Their barrenness is representative of our barrenness. We were absolutely barren apart from Christ. Absolutely barren apart from him. So their drained hope and their depleted belief is representative of ours too. Absolutely barren apart from Christ. But like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the barrenness in our souls is dispelled only by the birth of the Son our rescuing King Jesus. And so maybe this season, our greatest need is a little silence and solitude to reflect on God's kindness. Advent restores hope as the dark night of our barrenness is shattered by the breaking dawn of Jesus' birth. Barrenness drains our hope and depletes our belief, but in Advent, the birth of Jesus, God causes the sun to rise on those of us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Guys, he has done this for us once, but still we find ourselves in periodic seasons of darkness and what we would refer to as the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. And so what we learn from this narrative, 
that Jesus is the sunrise that dispels that darkest night. Zach is one of our pastors who's going to come now and lead us in a prayer to admit to our dad again that we have this need. And if you are in this season, and just silently to your father, pray loudly if you need to. But let's all go to our dad. And if you are too weak to, please know that you are in the company of an entire family that is going to the father on your behalf. But the spirit is too. He is praying um, for your good to the Father. Zach?